Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this whole series we've been studying through the book of Hebrews and for the way in which you are enlarging our understanding of both what the Bible teaches us and our understanding of you and how you want us to relate to you, how you want us to live for you. And I pray this evening as we think about your greater vision for us that you will open the eyes of our hearts our minds, our spirits, as well as our physical eyes, that we might see exactly what it is that you are saying to us tonight and how you want it to impact our lives for your greater glory. Amen. Well, um, as we're thinking tonight about greater vision, I thought I would start with a funny video. Um, now, Pete Wilmot has told me off because the last time he was in a service when I um, showed a video, there was a swear word in it. So I just need to warn you that again, he's challenging me on this. Um, I, I've picked a video with a small little swear word in it. So please do not be offended. It is meant for humorous purposes only, and I'm sure you will enjoy it despite that little word. Please insert the key. Yes, yes, I am inserting it. Thank you. Come on. Start! Please insert the key. I have inserted it, you Briton. Incorrect starting procedure. Right, this is your last warning. I'll count to three. One, two... Sorry, I didn't get that. Right, that's it. Don't say I didn't warn you. I've had it up to here with you. I'm going to give you a damn good threshing. I'm going to teach you a lesson, nasty little Dusty bonnet there. Oh, look! doesn't get much better than John Cleese, does it? Now, I, I, I don't know how your vision is. Maybe um, your vision is 2020. Up until I was 40, I had 2020 vision and no problems. And I used to laugh at those kind of adverts and think how ridiculous it was. Uh, and now, in my mid-40s, I um, find that I literally, if I take my glasses off, I can't see a thing. Uh, and, and this is very disheartening, it's very disconcerting, because um, every now and then I'll go somewhere and I've forgotten my glasses, and then you can't find your glasses, because you need your glasses to find your glasses. Anybody else haven't? Well, it is one of those things that you kind of get used to, but there is something specific about wearing glasses that means things that look blurry, and that you can't quite make out, you might mistake one word for another word, which is very dangerous, let me assure you. Um, but when you put your glasses on and you can see, there is something deeply profound about being in focus, about being able to see, ah, oh, that's what it is. 
That's what it's all about. Now I see what really is the meaning behind it or something along those lines. And that is in essence what we are talking about tonight. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews, to the early church, the Jewish believers who were following Jesus, this letter was written in order that they would put on the glasses of God's vision. A greater vision, a greater perspective, clearer focus and understanding than their human eyes could possibly see with. And so I wonder if with me you would like to put on your glasses tonight as we look at this passage and try and understand. So very pointedly, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews wants people who are reading his letter, wants the believers who over the centuries will read it still, to put on the perspective of God, to allow the Holy Spirit to give them a greater vision so that they can see themselves, their lives, their struggles, their difficulties, and the things of the world around them through God's eyes. Most of the time, because we are human beings, we can relate very much, very strongly to the people who received this letter in the first place, in that our vision is clouded by so many things, isn't it? You're like me, whether or not you had a cup of coffee in the morning. Perhaps there are other things that cloud your vision that stop you from being able to see. Maybe it's the pressure uh, of work or family life or um, friendships or disappointments or other things. They cloud our vision. Maybe it's just the constant bombardment of the world and what it says we should be or do or have or be working towards. It's really difficult for us to keep hold of God's greater vision. It's a discipline that we have to get into a routine, a habit of putting on our God spectacles, our God goggles, our God glasses, whatever you want to call them, each day. So that we can see things as clearly as God wants us to see them. What is your vision doing to you at the moment? What do you focus on? When you're here at church, it's very easy to focus on God, isn't it? Because we come here, we sing the songs, our hearts are lifted towards Jesus. And it's wonderful. But what's your focus on a Monday morning other than the coffee machine? What's your focus on a Wednesday evening? How does the way you look at your life, your work, your financial situation, your family, your friends, your hopes and dreams, your struggles, your disappointments. How does the way you look at those things affect how you feel about yourself or about them? Because our eyes and our hearts are very closely linked. And if we stick with our human vision then our hearts and our spirits and our minds will be shaped by those perspectives, those things that we see. All too often, we look with that human perspective 
when we face struggle or suffering, we think that it's the work of the enemy in our lives. And we only see God's blessing as a life without trouble. But we need to look again. With God's vision, with that greater vision, we can see things with a fresh insight. With God's vision, the things that are successful in our lives, the things that are good and going well might look different. But certainly the struggles, the difficulties, the failures, the messing ups, the painful stuff, those things also look different. We have a choice. Which vision, which eyes will we choose? Will we move away from that clouded vision of being humanly directed in what we look at and how we see it? Or will we pursue God's vision so that all we see, we see through the lenses of his truth and his love about us and about the world? Because if we choose that, then we will move into the healthy place, the right place where we know God's peace. We know God's truth about ourselves and about these situations. Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, chapter 6, verse 22, he says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So this is not something that's just about how we look at things. It's about the impact that greater vision will have on our whole being. So if you want to be spiritually healthy, if you want to be completely within God's peace, then this is really important that we understand. And so Hebrews tells us, very simple. There are two things that we need to do in order to have God's greater vision. Two things that we are directed to do in order to find ourselves looking at life and the world and ourselves properly. Are you ready? It's very complex. This passage tells us to look up and to look in. So firstly, look up. Verse 1 of chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That's really important when you see the word therefore at the beginning of a passage that it actually means look back at what's gone before. And so chapter 11 was all about the list of many people who lived lives that were not easy. They faced many challenges, but they were full of faith in the midst of those challenges. So when things went drastically wrong for most of those people listed through the Old Testament, Somehow, their faith in God, their relationship with God, was the thing that kept them on the right path. The thing that sustained them through those difficulties. And so the first thing that this writer is telling us is that as we look up, 
There are those people who have gone before us, and they may well be people in your lives, older family members, people who you have looked up to and learned from and valued. And whether they're still alive and able to encourage you now or whether they've gone to glory already and are encouraging you from heaven, this instruction is simple. As we look up, we see that there are those who've gone before us and experienced these things that we learn from and we see their example that we can follow. We know that there are people who understand and who have been through it and their stories encourage us to keep going, to trust God through our difficulties. They also remind us to have an eternal perspective on our life. There is a big picture issue going on here. If we stop to think about how our lives will look from eternity, we will see our day-to-day struggles, the details, which on a Monday morning, right up close in your face, feel enormous and massively problematic but when we step back and we understand that in eternity we will look and our whole earthly lives will be like the blink of an eye we stand back and see the whole we better understand the proportionate perspective on each and every struggle we can see the things that hinder us the things that hold us back more clearly when we have that perspective. The pressure to work more hours. The demands or expectations of our family. The distractions of TV, internet, media, all kinds of other things. Anxiety about finance. Or frustration and fear about things that are not going well. All of these concerns can consume our thinking and consume our vision. Even good things in our lives can pull our attention, our focus away from God. We become like that person in the picture on the screen before who's so engrossed in their phone Rory, could I ask you to go back to that one? Sorry, to be a pain. So engrossed in our phone. Have you ever done this? Or walked into a lamppost? I did a bit of research, um, as in I looked at Google for lots of videos of people walking into lampposts, tripping over benches. It is hilarious and actually deeply disturbing. We become so engrossed in what's going on right now, right in front of us, that we don't look up and have the perspective that will keep us safe. We can look at our political situation as a country and think, it's a complete mess. We can worry and become anxious about what the future will hold. And for many of us, those are legitimate concerns. But we need to remember, just like Daniel, who's gone before us and stands as one of those witnesses in eternity. He, when he was faced with a similar situation, being in a land that was not his own land and being um, unsure as people took over and kingdoms rose and fell. Where was his vision? He had it fixed on God. 
He knew that despite all of the changes of authority and kings and kingdoms and political spheres of influence, the one constancy. And in Daniel's vision, he sees this statue made up of different metals, the feet made of one, the legs made of a different metal or precious stone or whatever it was. And that sense from God clearly giving him a greater vision. Kingdoms will rise and fall. Our political situation might look crazy. We might be fearful for the future. But actually, God is bigger. And from an eternal perspective, when we step back and think, what will this be? It will be something, I'm sure, in the history books that future generations will look at and think, what on earth were they thinking? But it will be just that. Something in history. Because God's perspective is bigger. And he is still the constant one who has authority over all things. We do not need to be afraid. We simply need to look up. And verse 2. Thank you, Rory. Um, Moving on to the boxes, which are probably too small for you to read. Sorry, that's the one. Yay! Um, But just if you've got the Bibles out in front of you, do um, reference them as well. Verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sitting down at the right hand of God. We just sung that in the the words of that beautiful song, haven't we? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Unlike our eyes and our vision being fixed on our phones, it's good timing, thank you for that, which makes us unsafe to walk forwards, Fixing our eyes on Jesus is the safest course of action. The greater vision asks Jesus how he sees the situations we face. What is his perspective on the decisions that we're making? Do we measure our choices, our actions, our words, our life against who Jesus is? Is my understanding of the circumstance that I'm facing a reflection of Jesus Christ and how he would look at the same situation were he in my shoes? When I get to heaven and when I sit down with Jesus and we talk about my life, about every detail, about all the parts of my life, all that history, what will he say about this bit or that bit, or whatever it is that you're facing presently. If we can take the time to seek Jesus, to fix our eyes on him, to begin those eternal conversations, even now, Jesus, what do you see in this situation that I'm facing? Jesus, how would you have a perspective on this decision I'm in the process of making? As we prayerfully consider who Christ is, the author and perfecter of our faith, he is the one who knows what will happen to us. 
He is the one who is walking alongside us through it all. And he is the one who can perfect us if we let him. He is the perfecter of our faith. If we keep our eyes fixed on him, if we listen and seek him, seek his vision, his perspective, then we will find that he tweaks things. He changes the way we see them. What is the alternative if we don't look up? Well, wrong vision, earthly human vision, will lead to us being discontent, discouraged. We will find ourselves fighting and wrestling over the things that don't go according to plan. Because we're human beings and this world, things do not go according to plan. If we keep looking down, be it our phone or our own human perspective, we will find ourselves, as it says in verse 3, growing weary and losing heart. Instead, says the writer to the Hebrews, consider him, look to him, fix your eyes on him, allow him to shape and mold your vision so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So a greater vision leads us to a healthy place inwardly and to greater encouragement and lifting up of our hearts and our lives and our spirits and our minds and all that we are. So firstly, we've looked up. Secondly, we look in. Sometimes our circumstances can be overwhelming. Things we face, difficulties, challenges. Perhaps you've been through them recently. Perhaps you know others whom you love who are facing them now. But things happen in our lives that leave us feeling far from God's presence or struggling to find his peace. We have those times when God's rescue or extraction do not come. Or we just feel that they are slow. And our first thought is, like anybody else as a human being, why me? Why am I going through these difficulties? We wrestle with this question about struggle and suffering. Does this mean that God doesn't love me? Is God punishing me for something that I have done or or haven't been aware that I've done? Again, as we are encouraged by the writer to the Hebrews, if we will look inwards to ourselves and into the situation with God's greater vision, we will find him shaping us, changing us, perfecting us so that those things that we experience, instead of pulling us down, instead of bringing discouragement, allow us to grow and be strengthened and shaped and carved into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Verse 7 of our passage says, Endure hardship 
as discipline. For God is treating you as his children. And what children are not disciplined by their father? Now, not all earthy parents are good with discipline. And when we talk about God's discipline in this context, sometimes that can give us the wrong idea about what it means that God, our Heavenly Father, disciplines us. This is not God bringing out a big stick. This is not God taking us on a guilt trip. This is about God's work in our lives to shape us, to do his work of perfecting us. Now, my parents weren't perfect. I could produce you a long list of their failings as parents. I have been to counselling about that. You'll be reassured to know. But there were also many things that they did very, very well. One of the things I'm most grateful for, which I hated as a child, was the enforced Bible study over breakfast. Uh, when I was growing up, we had um, something called Quest, which was a, a kind of a magazine for um, young people, kind of like age 10 to 12. And um, it would be on the table next to my breakfast bowl, and I would be forced to read the Bible and to pray. How dreadful it was. And I remember just being um, really disgruntled about this. However, as I grew older and as I found a depth of faith and personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I became profoundly grateful for that discipline that my parents had instilled in me from a very young child. For two reasons. Firstly, it gave me a really solid foundation of biblical knowledge. It meant that I did know who Jesus was because I knew the stories about him. I had read them many, many times. But it also formed in me a really wonderful habit that still today through my adult life, I still have breakfast with Jesus. And it is one of the most precious times of my day. Slightly more difficult now, I actually have my own children. And um, they really hate doing Bible at breakfast. I think Jesus laughs a lot of that. But it's a precious habit, a discipline that my parents forced on me. But because they knew it would be for my good. And so even though I didn't like it, it felt like they were imposing on my freedom to choose what I did. Like I could choose which breakfast cereals I wanted to eat, but I could not choose whether or not I read the Bible. Surely that's not fair. But actually, their discipline of me was to shape me for something that would be richly rewarding Deeply profound and powerful in my life to bring me into that deeper relationship with Jesus when the time was right. And I am profoundly grateful for it. And so when we look into our circumstances with God's greater vision, not only are we looking at the problems, obstacles, the things that we don't like, 
But actually with God's greater vision, we can see the way that God is using those things to shape us. God is using those things to lead us into a deeper relationship with him. I've watched as people I've known and love have experienced illness, debilitating illness that stopped them from working but had a profound effect on their relationship with God as the only thing that they've been able to do is worship and pray and read the Bible. Sometimes a change in our working circumstances or our reduced finances causes us to rely on God to provide in a way that requires deep faith, even though it's a struggle. Or when relationships break down. Somehow God uses those painful, heartbreaking experiences to cause us to be more considered in the way in which we engage in relationships. Or it strengthens us to know what we need to look for in the future in relationships. Or perhaps choosing to say no to something we really, really want, but we know does not fit with God's kingdom values. And as we choose that painful thing that feels like a, a, an enforced discipline, we find that God's deeper peace and a fresh hope for something different fill up our hurt and our disappointment. And so whatever it is that we encounter or experience, the invitation from God is to look inwards, to look how this is impacting us. What is this doing to our sense of ourself? What is this perspective on whatever the circumstance is doing to our identity, our awareness of who we are and what God says about our lives? And how can we put God goggles on to have his vision so that we see those things differently and understand what it is that he is wanting to do in us as he has allowed those challenges to come. Verses 10 and 11 remind us again that our parents disciplined us for a little while as they thought was best. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness, in his wholeness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Choosing God's greater vision is an act of submission, an act of surrender to God's discipline. Struggle will always be part of our human lives. Jesus tells us that if we follow him, we will experience persecution and many other difficulties. He told us that we would experience them because he experienced them first. And so instead of looking for a way out of difficulties or struggles or problems or or challenges or discipline that we don't really want, let's allow God's greater vision 
to give us this perspective to see that God is at work through these things to mold us and shape us, to cut off the edges that need to be cut off, to smooth out the things that need to be more like him and less like the human us, to carve us into the image of Jesus Christ. A few years ago, I had a real, probably three years of very painful struggle And one of the books that I read that most helped me through that time is a book on prayer. And there was a chapter about not leaving the desert too quickly. That somehow, when God takes us into painful times and places, that he is wanting to do a work in us that might take some time. And for me, it took three years of counselling and processing and talking with my friends and, and, and allowing God to do deep work of inner healing. I could have rushed that or tried to get through it more quickly because it was painful for three years. But fortunately, God put the right books and people and other things in my life, a seminar I went to that spoke directly into my situation. He put all of those things in place to get me to the point in which I knew that God was at work in this desert time that I was going through. And that if I wanted him to perfect me, to do a work in me that would lead me and get me to the place he wanted me to be, which would be a place of peace and true blessing, then I needed to allow him to take the time he wanted to take. God's greater vision means that while we're struggling, we hold on to that last bit of verse 11. Later on, however, the struggle will produce a wonderful harvest of righteousness and peace. And so I want to end by saying to you, do you desire God's greater vision for your life, for your situations and circumstances, for your Monday mornings before or after coffee. If you want God's goodness and deep wholeness, if you want his peace to be able to go into the week without fear, then embrace his vision, even if it's difficult and painful and slow because when we do that we open up ourselves for God's deep healing power and then we will know more clearly who it is God says we are what it is God is saying we should do with our lives how it is that God wants us to be praying and engaging with the world around us so that we see his greater goodness and perspective on all things in his kingdom.